Good morning. Is this, can you all hear me? I'll take, no. Okay, 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 good. Um, it's been a little while since I've been mic'd up like this, and so I don't know the proper placement of stuff. I wonder if Bill always feels this cool on a Sunday morning being mic'd up. Well, I'm excited to be able to share a message with you all this morning. It's, it's an exciting message, and I've gotten to speak on Wednesday evenings a couple of times and given communion thoughts, but this is my first time speaking this morning. So if you don't recognize me, I'm, my name is Tucker Sullivan. I'm the youth minister here at Western. I've been, been here for five months, almost exactly. Um, July 11th, I, I believe, was my first day, first Sunday, so... It's been awesome. Um, I believe I've met most of you. I recognize most of your faces, but I can't promise that I can put a name with your face. Um, I do a little bit of a game on Tuesdays. We have staff meetings, and my game is anytime that a name is said, I, I think to myself, do I know that person? And I know that I know you, but I don't know if I know your face. And so I'll pull out my phone, and I'll look in the directory, and um, I I can't promise that I have a straight A in that class, but I think that I'm passing at least. So, um, But it's, it's great to be speaking with you all this morning. On behalf of my wife, Elizabeth, and I, thank you so much for everything. Um, it's five months that I've been here, three or so months that she's been here. It's been fantastic. You all have been so wonderful to us, and we just want to say thank you. Um, we've experienced firsthand the the help financially, hospitality, um, just help emotionally, spiritually, whatever. Um, we know how generous of a church this is. And so reemphasizing a little bit what David and, and Galen both spoke on. We're excited this morning uh, to be having a special contribution that we know we can do some awesome things with because of how awesome this church family we have here is. Okay, that's enough of, a, enough of an intro. We can start getting into it. If you will, let's open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Uh, while you're opening up, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, during the golden age, pre-COVID, uh, what I was doing. So I was southwestern Oklahoma State University in Weatherford, Oklahoma, um, the Bulldogs. And um, I'll take you specifically to a date, February 26th, 2020. So February 26th, 2020. Um, that was a Wednesday. It was the first day of Lent, actually. Um, some of my friends and I throughout college, uh, we decided that we'd participate in Lent a little bit, or try to. We didn't know exactly what we were doing, because none of us had grown up participating in it. But basically, um, it was a 40-day period before Easter that you used to try to focus your mind on the coming of Christ, his, his burial, his resurrection, and that sort of stuff. So it's reorienting yourself in preparation for Easter. So February 26th, we gathered together on that day, and we, we got together in the morning, we had a Devo, we took communion, and that started a 24-hour fast. So we did a 24-hour fast until the next morning, then we gathered together again and broke it with a, a big old meal, and everyone's so excited to get to that 7 o'clock the next morning so that we could finally eat. Um, then, on that day is whenever we start a more personal fast that's going to be uh, something that affects you personally, and so... For me, uh, the couple years before that, I had given up social media. I had tried giving up naps, which ended up being a complete and total failure because for how much I love naps now, even more so as a college student, naps are one of the most wonderful things. Um, so that was a failure, but I decided to go big for 2020. I decided 
that I was going to give up watching basketball. And if you know me, you know how big of a deal that is for me. Um, that meant not getting to watch Mar- March Madness. It meant missing out on a big stretch of the NBA uh, before the playoffs started. So it was a really big deal. But I must say not watching basketball got quite a bit easier whenever a couple weeks later basketball got canceled. Um, and the, the season as a whole got postponed. It was funny because it was actually in Oklahoma City. Um, there was a Utah Jazz player that tested positive before the game for COVID. And that was really the first domino that fell that led to everything else. The game got canceled. Then the whole season got postponed. And then uh, in the weeks to come, life as we know it kind of got postponed. Um, school was moved completely online for us. And so I moved back home with my parents um, out in the country about an hour away from Weatherford. And it was a fun time. Um, out in the country, obviously, didn't have sports to watch. And then the Wi-Fi was super slow. And so um, I spent a lot of time outside. And while spending time outside, there were two things uh, that I really grew fond of. Um, the first one was hammocking. I really developed a, a love for hammocking, just laying outside, enjoying the weather and stuff. And then the second one was hummingbirds. I know that sounds weird, but for Mother's Day, I'd gotten my mom a a hummingbird feeder. And I don't know, there's just something, hummingbirds are cool. Um, There was one day that Elizabeth, my, she was my girlfriend at the time. Her and my niece were over at my parents' house, and I was out there too. And uh, they were in the backyard being daredevils on a go-kart. I think they were ramping some hills and doing this and that. Um, Meanwhile, I was up by the house taking slow motion videos of a hummingbird. Um, And I had a couple of recurring thoughts throughout that time. The first one was, I wonder how many points are getting taken off of my man card right now. And then the second one was, man, hummingbirds, this is awesome. Hummingbirds are so cool. Something about just the way that they can hover there and the colors of their feathers. and They're just awesome. Um, Watching hummingbirds, hammocking, looking up at the leaves and the wind blowing through it and all that. Um, It really developed in me a sense of wonder, something that I hadn't felt in a little while, um, being in the middle of a a town, not getting outside a ton. Um, Just wonder at creation, which, when done right, turned into wonder for the creator God. The life of Jesus Christ is amazing. Um, From the time that Mary found out that she was going to have a baby until his final breath on the cross, as we read the story of Jesus, that's something that we see over and over again is people are just amazed, amazed at the different things that he does and his life as a whole. Okay, so let's jump into Luke chapter 1, flying through it. Um, Elizabeth is pregnant at this time. Elizabeth and Zachariah are having a baby, uh, John the Baptist, and then her cousin Mary, a relative Mary. Wait, what is happening? Oh, Elizabeth is not pregnant. No, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, all right. We're talking about the Bible here. Oh, whew. Surprise, Mom and Dad. Um, no. Okay. Okay. Let's try to recover from that. So Mary is pregnant with Jesus. So Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and then her relative, we'll call her Z. Um, her full name is Elizabeth, but we'll call her Z. Um, she is pregnant with John the Baptist at this point. Sorry about that. Whew. I'm sweating a little bit more. Um, Okay, so Mary is pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and that's where we're going to pick up. Um, 
Mary is going to visit Elizabeth in her house, and whenever she comes, in verse 34 of Luke chapter 1, says, how will this be, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, this is whenever the angel has appeared to Mary and tells her, hey, you're, you're pregnant with a baby, and she asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? Um, which seems like a pretty valid question to me, and she's wondering at this point, like, how, how can this be? This, this isn't possible. Then we're going to skip forward to where um, Mary is going to visit Elizabeth. And in Luke 1, verses 39 through 45, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is kind of a strange scene. So Mary is going to visit Elizabeth. And we know that whenever Mary enters the house and says her greetings and stuff, um, what happens? Elizabeth has a little bit of a, maybe a jump of the belly a little bit, because it says that the baby inside of her leapt. Um, And not only that, in verse 44, it clarifies the baby leapt for joy. So I've I've been around some pregnant women in my life, one of which is not Elizabeth, um, but I've been around pregnant women before, and I know that they'll they'll turn over, they'll kick, they'll do this and that. but maybe I've just missed something. I've never heard of a baby leaping before. And maybe they do, but I've, I've never heard of that. But that's what it says here. And he leapt for joy. What does Mary respond with? Well, she responds with praise, picking up in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. My spirit rejoices. The mighty one has done great things for me. Mary right here is praising. She's so filled with joy from everything that's happening. She's filled with hope, knowing that she can look back on the faithfulness of God and see he's always accomplished what he said that he's going to, and then he can look forward to what's happening with her, the, the, the role that she plays in the story, knowing that she, he's going to continue his faithfulness through her. Then a page later in chapter 2, Jesus is born. So Jesus is born at this point in in Luke chapter 2. An angel appears to some shepherds in a field at nighttime and tells them what has happened. And rightfully so, they are terrified. I I would imagine I would be too if in the middle of the night an angel appeared to me. Um, But what is the angel's response whenever he sees that they're terrified? He says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, the angel tells them that he brings good news that will cause great joy. And what is that news? A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So here's where you can cue the fireworks. This isn't just news. It's good news. It's extraordinary news. Nothing like this has happened before. Then we see heaven burst open and they surround the shepherds and the heavenly hosts sing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It says that after the angels left, the shepherds hurried off to the town of Bethlehem because they wanted to see this baby. They had to see it with their own eyes. Is this, is this true, what this angel has told me? 
they just disregarded the flock and left. They went. And sure enough, whenever they arrived, they, they see. They, they see the baby. They see the baby wrapped in cloth and they know that, that this is true. Uh, they went, they started spreading the news, and it says the people were amazed at what they said. Skipping forward to Luke chapter 5 is where we'll pick up. Um, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So just to set the scene a little bit, Jesus is teaching in a house at this point. Um, There's a big crowd, as we'll see, and it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there, and they're just waiting. They're They don't like Jesus at this point. They're just waiting to see if there's a slip of the tongue. They want anything that they can use against him to accuse him of. Picking up in verse 18, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front. Of Jesus. So I want for you to imagine for a second. Imagine that you're a part of this crowd. Imagine that you're there listening to Jesus teach. Maybe it's, it's kind of hard to hear because there's so many people in there and you're doing everything that you can to hear him. Then all of a sudden, uh, you start hearing a noise above and you look around to see if anybody else is hearing it. And then you feel something hit your head. You're just thinking, what, what in the world was that? And so you look up and there's a little bit of dust floating around by the ceiling. And then, all of a sudden, more and more dirt starts falling on you. You're kind of scooting out of the way a little bit, and there's a crack in the ceiling. Next thing you know, the crack gets wider and wider, and some sunlight starts poking through, and you're thinking, what is going on here? And the next thing you know, there's a man being dropped through this hole in the ceiling, right into the middle of the crowd. And Jesus is standing there right in front of the man. And you're wondering, okay, what are they what are they thinking right now, first off? But then secondly, what is Jesus' response going to be? So everyone just kind of sits tight and sees, how is Jesus going to respond to this? Luke 5.20, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. So you're back in the room. At this, whenever Jesus says this, your sins are forgiven, your stomach drops a little bit. You know whenever you hear something, that it's just so shocking that just, you can't even really comprehend what's just happened. Um, that, that is what happens here. Um, also, like, like what? I mean, what is, what is Jesus doing here? Because obviously the man is paralyzed. I think that that's why they've gone to all this trouble, digging through the roof, dropping this man down to the ground, is so that Jesus would heal the man. I mean, that's what makes sense to me. So it's just kind of confusing. Um, Luke 5.21 The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So there we go. The whole waiting for Jesus to have a slip of the tongue so that they can accuse him thing. That's, that's happened here. And they're, they're thinking it. They're probably discussing it a little bit amongst themselves. And they're ready to, to call him out for it. But we see before they even get the chance to call him out Jesus calls them out. Pick it up in verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. This is it. This is, this is the moment. Um, Jesus has already said his sins are forgiven. It causes a little bit of a stirring. But anyone can say that. And how can you prove him wrong? But this right here, this man is obviously paralyzed. And Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and walk. Everyone crowds in a little bit closer, waiting to see what happens. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them. The paralyzed man stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And they were filled with awe over and over again as we read the story of Jesus. Those are words that we're going to hear a lot. They were filled with awe. Luke 7, Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. And the crowds were filled with awe, and they praised God. They were filled with awe and praised God. In Luke 8, Jesus and his disciples are out in the boat when suddenly they're in great danger from a storm. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is sleeping through this. So they go and they wake him up, and they say, what are you doing? Um, So they wake him, and... Uh, Jesus calms the storm, and then it says, In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Who is this? In fear and amazement. Um, in Luke 8, again, uh, Jesus raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead, and it says her parents were astonished. Then just one chapter later, in Luke 9, Jesus cast a demon out of a boy, and it says, And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. This is all in a stretch of three chapters. Over and over and over again, people are amazed. See, Jesus stirred up wonder and amazement everywhere he went. And oftentimes, the second part of that sentence was, and they praised God. Now, why did they praise God? It was because they had experienced something so amazing, so wonderful, that the joy that was developed could only lead to praise. That's the only way that they could they could express the joy that they were feeling from what they had seen. Remember the words of the angel who appeared to the shepherds? He said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So his birth, his life, the miracles that he worked, the words that he said, they were all amazing, and we know that, and we see that over and over. It gave people hope. Could this truly be the Messiah that they had hoped for, that they'd heard about their whole life? Could it be? Um, And some are believing it. Some are all in, that they've bought in, and they are following Jesus with all that they have. Others are a little bit more skeptical and uh, are amazed by him, but want to keep their distance a little bit. And then we see that others have rejected him altogether. But whatever the case was, no matter how amazing the things that he did and said were, None of them mattered as he laid in the tomb, as he was buried there. Beaten, crucified on a cross, buried in the tomb. What had happened, what would have happened if this was the end of the story? Where would we be? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to flip over there. be 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, 
For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Man, that last verse, that, that hits hard. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of Christ's disciples um, in that stretch of days between the death on the cross and the resurrection? Um, the fear that you would have felt? I mean, it would have been agonizing because yeah, I mean, he's dead. He's been crucified. But we know what comes next. So there's a group of women who were Jesus' followers that had prepared spices, and they're taking them to the tomb to, to lay on Jesus. Um, but what do they find? Well, the stone to the entrance of the tomb has been rolled away. It's been rolled away. They enter, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. But instead, as they're thinking of what has happened, there's two angels that appear to them. And they say these words. The angels say these words that would change everything. Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, they say, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Jesus Christ has risen. And in those words, those words right there, those two sentences, those are the words in which our hope lie. You see, the hope that we have in Christ is not the same as a worldly hope. I can hope to not get sick on Christmas Eve. I can hope that the new Star Wars show coming out is going to be good. Um, I can hope that OU will win a national championship with Brandon Venables as coach. I can hope that Elizabeth and I can grow old together. I can cross all my fingers and cross all my toes and hope for all these things, but ultimately, I, I don't know. I don't know if these things are going to happen. I can hope, I can do everything that I can, but it's not in my control. Here's what one scholar has to say about how hope in Christ works. He says, Biblical hope is not just the desire for something good in the future, but rather, biblical hope is a confident expectation, a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. So to non-believers, the hope that we have as Christians, the hope that we place in Christ, might sound crazy. It might sound just outlandish. But you know what else is crazy and surprising sounding is a crucified man rising from the dead to live and reign forever. You see, our hope is not without substance because Jesus Christ is alive. In 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This unshakable hope is what then leads to an unshakable joy for us. In the same way that Christian hope isn't the same as worldly hope, we know that also about Christian joy. Why is that? Well, worldly joy has to avoid suffering. Worldly joy has to deny suffering. Just get as far away from it as, as you can. Because if your hope is in something worldly, whenever that crumbles, you, your hope, your joy is gone. Um, But that's not what we have um, as Christians. 
Look in in John chapter 16. Sorry, I know I'm skipping around a lot. You don't have to flip there. But if you want to, John chapter 16, verses 20 through 24. So chapters 14 through 17 of John are going to be Jesus with his disciples. Uh, The night before the crucifixion, he's talking to them. And there's a ton of good stuff in there, Um, really life-giving words that he gives. But there's also a lot of comforting that he does. So pick it up in John 16, verse 20. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. The disciples will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day... You will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not had to ask for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Jesus tells them that their grief is going to turn to joy, and no one will be able to take that joy away from them. But notice what he compares it to. He compares it to a woman giving birth. Um, And I promise I'm not just trying to talk about pregnant women this morning. Um, don't get mad at me. This is what the Bible has to say. Um, believe it or not, I've never given birth. I don't ever want to, and I'm glad that I don't have to, because I can only imagine the pain uh, that you go through whenever you're giving birth. I can only imagine even more at this time, at this day and age, the pain that it would have been to give birth without the modern medicine that we have to try to help a woman through that process. So, What does Jesus point out about a woman giving birth here? Um, He says, when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. See, it's not that the pain is gone. Um, With a pain that traumatic, the pain is still going to be there even after she's given birth. Um, But what is her focus on at this point? Her focus is on her baby. The pain may still be there, but it has no control over her. That's that is how our joy works. That's how having an unshakable joy built on an unshakable faith or hope is going to work. Um, whenever we experience suffering and pain, um, our joy doesn't just magically make it go away. The, the same way that a woman who's given birth doesn't just magically not feel pain. But our deepest joy is not found in this world. It's found in the hope that we have in Christ. And the hope that we have in Christ is unchanging because the tomb is still empty. To close out this morning, I want to close with some thoughts um, from J.R.R. Tolkien. He says, uh, Do you know what the word gospel means? Euangelion. It means literally the joy news. Tolkien says that there's a kind of story, a kind of story that brings us unbelievable joy. He says these stories always have a certain kernel to them. There's always some incredible hopeless situation and victory is snatched out of the jaws of defeat. But how? Always through someone who comes in and whose weakness turns out to be strength. Someone whose defeat turns out to be a victory. He says it's those kinds of stories that just seem to bring us joy. And he calls them eucatastrophes. Do you know what the word eucatastrophe means? The joyful catastrophe. The tragedy that turns out to be a triumph. The sacrifice that turns out to bring joy. He said, however, there's a U catastrophe, capital E, 
of the eucatastrophes. There's a story in all of these stories that bring us joy. He believes that there's a base stream to the human heart, and those stories can bring us joy because it can kind of make that string reverberate a little bit, but it can't quite pluck it. Then Tolkien says, the gospel story is the only story that will pluck that string so that the whole heart never stops reverberating and vibrating with joy. The reason it will reverberate is this is the reality to which all of the other stories point. All these other stories that bring us joy point to this one main story. It happened. It really happened. There really is a hero who defeats the villain. There really is Jesus. The word gospel means the joy news. Joy, it's real. You have to have it. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, we ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.